0: Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multi-millionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. When your life and your business grow as a result of what you're about to discover, please call me and tell me about it. The number to leave a voicemail is one 888 844-GROW. That's one 844 4769 Long distance charges may apply. Dial now to call me, connect, share your personal story of how my interviews have helped, or share your current challenges and frustrations so I can connect you with an appropriate course, coach, or help you if you connect. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urbanski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now.
1: Hello everyone, thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by the publisher of Success Profiles Magazine and host of Success Profiles Radio, Brian K. Wright. Over the last seven years, Brian has interviewed world-class achievers such as Darren Hardy, Jack Canfield, Laurel Langmeier, Kevin Harrington, Sharon Letcher, Chris Powell, Dan Locke, and many, many more. He is the author of three books, including the recently released Success Profiles, Conversations with High Achievers. Brian overcame a life-threatening illness in 2014. Some of the keys to his recovery included focusing on how he wanted to impact the world when he was healthy again, plus being aggressively thankful for everything in his life. Throughout his career, Brian has been a top performer in sales, customer service, training, and I've asked him to join us today to speak about how to stay motivated and inspired, plus lead others like him and so many of the high achievers he's spoken to. So, Brian, thank you for joining us, my friend. How are you doing?
2: I'm fantastic, Daryl. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you here. So, uh, I'm a big fan of win-win-win relationships, and so... You know, we're all going to win here. This is great. I'm excited for a jam-packed call. You've definitely spoken to some of my heroes, which is fantastic. But before we get into any of that, I want to start off with, what were you doing before you got into sales and marketing and business and, and high, you know, high performance, high achievement, peak performance stuff? What were you doing? Do you come from a family of, like, of high achievers, uh, of entrepreneurs and marketers? or?
2: The quick answer to that is no, not really. My dad was the manager of our local co-op grain elevator and we had a small small farm. He came from a farming background, so his life was based in the agriculture industry and we had a, a few acres of land right next to our house where we would, you know, raise cattle and and grow crops and that was his way of staying in the farming game while still holding down a full-time job and so you know that was a business I mean obviously farming is a business it's a big business and
0: Mm -hmm. I think people
2: don't understand how risky it is to be a full-time farmer but you know I I give lots of props to people who do that because it's hard hard work and uh, it's fantastic and so from that standpoint yes there was some entrepreneurialism uh, in my family and when I was in 4-H I raised cattle and I learned that I had to buy the calves and I had to buy the feed and I had to buy the hay. and I wasn't going to see my money until I sold them at the end of the cycle, at the end of the fair. And so that was going to be, you know, probably eight or nine months down the line. So I had to borrow money from the bank when I was in junior high school. Now, of course, my dad co-signed the loans and they weren't going to default. But it was kind of scary, you know, mm-hmm. being, you know, 12 years old and taking out a loan for whatever amount that was, $5,000 or whatever happened to be. That's a big number when you're 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's a big mm-hmm. number now. It's a big number now to a lot of people. And mm-hmm. so that was fun. I, I did get to learn a little bit about what it was like to run a business. And after I graduated from college, I moved to Nebraska to go to graduate school. And during the interim, when I well, after the first, the first year, I ended up leaving school because I was just so burned out. And I wanted to experiment with you know, finding a job and figuring out what that world was like entered the call center world for a little bit, sold insurance for about a year. And then after a while, I did resume writing for about three years for people while I was teaching and going to graduate school. Again, I I went back to school to finish my degree because I didn't really care so much what my degree was in. Uh, In fact, I changed majors before I finished, but I just wanted to get done. I just wanted to prove that I could do it. And I think there was something to be said for leaving something undone. And I didn't want to do that. But I ended up moving out to Nebraska or to Arizona eventually. And in 96, I moved out here, spent quite a few years in the call center world uh, doing calling. And in some roles, I was a trainer. I did payroll at one company. I was a floor super, one of the floor supervisors. Uh, in, in one company. And so I did just about everything except own the company and do IT, which I wasn't interested in doing either of those. <laughs> yeah. And then I started my radio show in 2012 while I was still working full-time elsewhere and just building this. And in 2017, mm. I went full-time for real. I was realizing that I did not enjoy my job although i was good at it and here's one thing i've learned daryl when you become good at something you don't enjoy doing the world will just keep asking you to do more of it mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i
1: think so I think the, oh, yeah that's right. Okay, go ahead i was
2: just going to say be very careful about what it is that you're doing because if you don't like it and you're good at it that's what you're going to keep getting
1: mm-hmm. yeah uh, i was going to say that like Skills. Skill. Things gravitate to skill. The, the more skilled you are at something, that's why it's important to pursue your passion, because you can make money doing almost anything. I mean, there's people that make... I think uh, there was an online tournament, It's like a video game tournament in first place was $3 million. The kid that won was like 14 years old or something. It's like these yeah. sites, like, I think it's like Twitch. Like People pay to watch people play video games. Like. You can, it's just insane. You can make money doing it, especially in today's day and age. You could be a YouTuber. There's lots of girls that make a ton of money just doing makeup reviews and stuff because that's what they're into or fashion. It's just it's a matter of becoming skilled at something. And so I yeah. think what you say, it's a good warning. Don't get skilled at something. I mean – I mean, maybe it's a catch-22, like you maybe didn't enjoy every aspect of farming, but you did learn some fundamental skills that I think are really important. Like as a farmer, you learn that when the sun comes up, you've got to be moving. In fact, you've got to be moving usually before the sun's even up. You know, like, uh, the seasonality, the the concept of investment. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's why we have things like school shootings and that now, because kids are so detached from reality. Like, everything's a virtual, yeah. everything's a video game. They don't understand the ramifications. They never got kicked by, like, a goat or, like, hit themselves in the toe with an axe or something. You know, like, like, none of that's yeah. ever happened. So one day they're just angry, and they go and run up around the school with a gun, not realizing the ramifications. They've never fallen off a tractor or had somebody get injured or, right. you know, like, none of, none of that stuff. And right. Yeah, so. So, what were some of the greatest challenges for you in this process of going full-time and becoming an entrepreneur and running your own business like this?
2: I think wondering whether I could actually do this or not, whether mm-hmm. I could actually make a full-time income doing it because you know, for for some people that grow up in an entrepreneurial household and they see their parents doing it and it is just a natural thing. In fact, a lot of people that I've interviewed who did come from entrepreneurial backgrounds, they knew they could never work for someone else. And so yeah. there was no doubt at all that they were gonna make it work because they'd done it before in their family business. They've watched their parents succeed for years and years and years in the entrepreneurial space. But someone like myself, who was used to working for other people, it was a huge paradigm shift. And you know, I did resume running before and that was a full-time, I made that a full-time thing while I was teaching on the side. Uh, but you don't always know where your next customer is going to come from. And there's mm-hmm. something that's a little, a little scary about that. And, and not everyone is equipped to handle that emotionally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with having a job. I did it for years and years and years, but I don't want to go back to it unless I really, really have to.
1: I love that. Yeah, what you said there is a really key part of it. I always tell people like when they ask, what's it like running a business? And I said, well, it's like you're constantly job hunting because one of the lessons that I've learned that's been really painful to learn, but it's it's this feast famine thing that you have to work out you, how you want to handle it. And what I mean yeah. by that is, is, you know, you're either looking for work and clients and then you get some clients, you have some money or you're doing the actual work that they've paid for. And if you're doing that, there's no one lining up the next client. And then once you've completed that job, or if something doesn't go well, or it just runs its course, and then, you know, and then you move on, now you've got this famine part where in between where you're in the middle. So I think it's a really, really critical, fundamental thing for everybody that's self-engaged in business to understand that somebody... Somebody has to be looking for new clients all day, every day. Prospecting is a huge part of running a business, a huge part of running a business,
2: huge part. And I tell people, again, going back to a farming analogy, you plant the seeds, but you don't reap the fruit of that on the day that you plant it. It's somewhere down the line. Now, you might spend a month or two or three planting seeds and not see a lot of income coming in. You have to be prepared for that possibility. But once you start reaping the harvest, you might make that three months' worth of income in just a couple weeks. And you think, wow, where was this? But the challenge is you got to keep planting the seeds while you're harvesting because if you don't, then the cycle will start again. It's like, okay, I've reaped the harvest, and now there's nothing coming in again. Well, did you plant seeds while you were reaping the harvest? Well, there wasn't time. Well, build systems in place where you have that time.
1: Yeah, build a team, put systems in place, have processes. I think that's really important. And that's why so many businesses fail. Like, it's not that they don't have – the business graveyard is littered with world-class quality products and services. But the reason why so many go belly up is it's the same thing like that Zen quote. If a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, does not make a sound? Well, if you've got the world's greatest service but nobody knows it exists, you know, are you going to help anyone, and are you going to make enough money to stay afloat? Like it's really that it's that simple, and I think that a lot of people overlook that. It's just a fundamental yeah. fundamental process to this. Um, Brian, I want to ask you about some of the things that you've learned, having talked to some of these big names like Darren Hardy. Uh, Darren, people have mixed feelings about Darren. I've only I only have a superficial relationship with him, but he's always been very amazing to me. I got met him at a birthday party. We went for a hike. And everybody just kind of partnered up, and I ended up beside Darren for whatever reason. And we just, like, talked for the whole way. And he, he asked me all these great questions. And at the time, I was really going through this Jim Rohn kick, and I didn't had no idea who Darren was. I had no idea who he was. Oh. Like, going down the street. And then he just was so uh, overjoyed, I guess, by my, my sincere, I don't know, passion or, or love of Jim Rohn. And it, it turns out that he owns a large percentage of Jim's content now. It was actually a protege of Jim Rohn, so I thought that was hilarious. Yes. And Anyways, we stayed in touch and emailed back and forth a bunch of times, and he actually even gave, signed and gave me a couple copies of his own personal Jim Rohn products that he had from his car. He was like, here, just take these. These are." gave me a bunch of Jim Rohn stuff, because at the time, I was just kind of going through the YouTube videos. So I think yeah. he's just a great guy, and he's talked to some other wonderful people, and I would love to know what... You even wrote a book about this. What were some of the major commonalities, the, the common denominators that you noticed amongst these people in terms of habits and even mindsets?
2: Yeah. They don't give up no matter how hard mm-hmm. it gets. They know that there's always a way out. And a lot of them go through some really tough stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea of going back to what they were doing just doesn't ever occur to them. They know there's a way. And they know that somebody else knows what they need to know. And so they find out who that is and what they know. And, you know, whether it's, you know, seeking a mentoring relationship or going to an event that they're speaking at and trying to meet them or even paying for coaching. Uh, Investing in yourself is so important. And everyone says you should have a coach. Uh, Even Michael Jordan had a coach. Not because Mm -hmm. that coach was better at what Michael did than he was, but because the coach could see the blind spots and could point things out that Michael Jordan wasn't seeing on the court. Mm -hmm. Every great champion has a coach, and they Mm -hmm. always invest in themselves first because how silly is it to ask someone to invest in your programs if you're not even investing in someone else's programs to better yourself? It just makes no sense at all. You know, There is such a thing as the velocity of money. When you spend a certain amount of money or invest a certain amount of money it goes to the next person and to the next person and to the next person. You're all exchanging something you need for that currency. And then it comes back around to you eventually.
1: Hmm. I like how you said that there's a velocity to money. I love that. And I noticed that too. A lot of the high achievers, it was like they all had some sort of painful experience that was driving yeah. them to yes. the success it seemed like.
2: Exactly. And a lot of them come to a place where they draw a line in the sand and they say, I will no longer put up with this. And here's the other interesting thing, Daryl. I love Brian Tracy, and I love listening to him on audio. He said something once, and I haven't interviewed him yet, but maybe someday I really kind of hope I get to. But one thing that he said is, let's just say, for example, there are 100 things you need to do to be successful. You need to be willing to do all 100 things. People limit their success because they're not willing to do, let's just say, 40 of them. I'll do this, but I will not do this well, you're limiting your opportunities to succeed because you're not willing to do everything it takes. However, by being willing to do everything it takes, you're not going to have to do everything it takes. You might only have to do 40 of those 100 things Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. just simply
2: by being willing to do all of them. But you're not necessarily going to have to do all 100 of them. It's the willingness that is key.
1: Mm, The willingness to do what it takes. I think that's really important because a lot of times I think it's underlying principles of things that really matter like it's what I mean by that is it's things like you said like they never give up like a lot of people (laughs) they just don't put in the effort that it actually takes and they're not willing to I don't know it's like they're just they don't do enough I think that's a big part of it they don't do enough there's a magical word in the English language until so if you're like I've always taken this approach to sales if I've got like let's say I've got to make so much to make sure I've covered my bills I don't stop until I've got that money in the bank, even if it seems like these deals are going to close. You know, like I've got to keep going until that money hits my bank account. Mm-hmm. I took the same approach to dating. If I didn't have a date, I would go until I had the date because I just didn't trust. Like Things don't always materialize no matter how likely it seems until the deal is done. You just have to keep going, you know. Runners, marathon runners run through the tape. Boxers don't punch you in the nose, they try to punch the back of your head. Like it's it's that concept of running through your goals. And I yeah. think that that's an important thing as well.
2: Yeah. And I love the boxing analogy. I mean, you might get knocked down, but as long as you get up before the referee counts to 10, you're still in the game.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how, how fast you get back up. Yep. So, those are some of the biggest commonalities I, I like that the coaching because I think that's one people kind of you know they shy away from, or they want to have like Bill Gates as their coach, but they want to have Bill Gates as their coach for a hundred dollars a month you know right. there's mismatch expectations. What are some of the other things? Did you notice anything else that really jumped out? Was there any other commonalities that you think were really important?
2: Yeah, they had a positive mindset they mm. Stick around with people who are positive and who will lift them up. And again, going back to something Brian Tracy has said, you cannot fly like the eagles when you're scratching with the turkeys. Mm. Right? I mean, that's it's so profound, but it's really, really true. I mean, if you are looking to become you know, a millionaire or run a millionaire business, you need to make sure you're hanging around or at least talking to regularly people who are doing that. If you are hanging around with four broke friends, well, guess what? You're the fifth Mm because they cannot, even if they wanted to, they cannot take you where you want to go. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you have to really be very cognizant of who you're spending a lot of time with and just know that the force of average is really strong. You know, if someone sees that you are trying to better yourself, you'll get some kickback, you'll get some negativity. People might start making fun of you, talking behind your back it becomes high schoolish and do you really want to put up with that no because guess what unless they're paying your bills or or giving you money you, you shouldn't really care all that much about what someone has to say
1: hmm did any of them speak to accomplishing goals through other people like how how to do that how to work with other people how to accomplish things because one of the things that i've learned is getting rich is a team sport And so teamwork and collaborating with others is really important. Were there any lessons around that that you, that you come to mind?
2: Absolutely. I I think people who think in terms of competition have a scarcity mindset because there is an underlying Mm -hmm. assumption that the pie is only so big. And so you have to get yours before someone else does. But Mm. people who have an abundance mindset realize that the pie is infinite. There's enough to go around. For example, people who are ghostwriters. I mean, I see on Facebook, some of my friends are in the ghostwriting writing space. Um, we don't really interact a ton, but you know, they're doing their thing and I'm doing mine. They're reaching people that I would probably never talk to and vice versa. And here's the thing I would say, and I think studies show that over 80% of people really want to write a book someday, but very few of them actually do. And what I found is there's a very small percentage of that group they either has the time, the temperament, or the skill set to actually get it done. So mm-hmm. I think the pool of people who want to do it is much, much larger than the pool of people who actually have the skill set, the time, or the temperament to actually do it. So there's enough to go around. There's enough mm. to go around. Collaborating is great. Uh, I mm-hmm. talk to people on the show about joint ventures and collaborating and networking and meeting people and just figuring out what you can do and what I can do. Now, you have to come from a spirit of giving and not taking one of my favorite topics to talk about on the show is how do people network correctly and incorrectly, you know, the whole idea of, you know, shaking someone's hand and, you know, exchanging. So what do you do? So what do you do? And then at the end of the conversation, they shove a card in your hand, say, call me if you need me. Well, in a minute or two, Number one, I'm not going to know really enough about what you do. I'll probably want to look at your website first. I'd probably want to have a conversation with you. And the chances are very good that I know other people who are already doing what you're doing. So why wouldn't I work with someone I already know versus someone that I'm just meeting now for the first time? Mm
1: -hmm. So there's a lot to
2: overcome. I mean, the expectation that you're going to meet someone at a networking event and immediately become business partners is pretty far-fetched you you have and that's why organizations like bni for example they emphasize that you have a one-on-one you get together by yourselves for an hour and just don't even try and sell each other just say this is what i do this is what you do what do you need what do you need who's your ideal customer who's your ideal customer and maybe referrals get exchanged in that one-on-one or maybe there's an agreement to to talk further and there's nothing wrong with that you have to build relationships Mm. build relationships
1: yeah, I think there's definitely, that's a, that's a lost art or it's a dying art in certain respects just because people are expecting technology to replace that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had this great call with a guy who's built an Instagram following of 1.3 million people. And um, wow. I've, met, I've met people who have big followings, but there's no engagement. He's got 1.3 million people, and they're highly engaged. And I remember asking about that. He's like, you just got to get in, like, you have to engage with it. Like, who are these people? What do they care about? What was the last time you talked to someone that or replied to someone that commented on one of your posts, or you know, just reached out to someone that liked your post but didn't comment? Like his whole thing is like he gets engagement because he engages. (laughs) Like that's like he's like it's it's just not rocket science. I get engagement because I engage. Like I you know people I've built my following because I built the relationships with people, and I just think that that's that's just a really important fundamental. And sometimes people are like, oh, but there's only so many hours in a day. And I, you know, and I'm like, you have to overcome your laziness. It's just like that. Like when you're a child, you don't know how to walk and you have to overcome that and learn to walk. And how long as a parent, when would you tell your child to give up on learning to walk? Would you be like, oh, he's been trying for, she's been trying for a couple of weeks. It's fine. She'll just crawl her whole life. No, you would make her practice and go at it until she got there, which comes back to what you're saying about these high achievers, how they just didn't give up. And I think another right. thing that we haven't mentioned is you have to tap into a deep why. We mentioned that they had a pain, and that created yes. a why, but it doesn't have to come from pain. You just have to have a deep, motivating why, because otherwise yeah. it's got to it's be greater than their desire to sit around and watch TV. It's got to be greater than your desire to smoke pot and play video games. It's got to be greater than your desire yep. to do these other things, and that's, that's why we envy people who have accomplished that stuff. You know, some people right. have amazing physiques. And it's because they have the desire to constantly daily battle with their, you know, their desire to eat less than, but ice cream. I I fucking love ice cream and cheesecake. I have to fight that all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's just, it's that, I don't know. I just, I worry. I'm on a bit of a soapbox and I'm going to get off it in a second, but I worry because right now at the time of this recording, I'm in Vietnam and I've recently been in the last year, I've been in Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, the Philippines, Japan, Uh, Vietnam. I think I might be missing something, but this is like last two, three years. I've been all over this part of the world. And I mean, I've also been all over North America. I've done a ton of traveling and I'm kind of concerned for my first
0: world brethren
1: and sisters, because I feel like there's this like culture of, of entitlement and expectations that is kind of coming about. And I think it's really dangerous. I know, I've know i heard, I don't know if it's true, and I heard the Chinese have a saying that you can't keep wealth past three generations because the first one struggles and earns it, the second one witnessed their parents struggle and respects it and preserves it, and the third one knows nothing but luxury and squanders it. And I feel kind of like that's what's happening in the first world is we have these people that don't understand the, like, how this stuff was built and how we became the first world nations. And so there's people that, like, I mean, in Canada, I think the minimum wage now in Canada is, like, 15 or $17. It's something ridiculous. Like, when I was a kid, I think minimum wage was 4 bucks or 5 bucks. And I'm in Vietnam, mm-hmm. and we just had this lady come and clean our apartment, and I think we paid her $6, and she was here for two hours, and then, like, went. And it's, like, there's just so many people that are so hungry for right. work in the world, you know, like, unless your job is, like, you're a plumber and someone on the other side can't do it. Like, you have to have that eye of the tiger. Like, you just... Right. You just... Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox here for a second. But I just... It's real. I think it's just real. Yeah. Uh,
2: Absolutely. And I I think, you know, there certainly is something for for working hard and working smart. And not expecting mm -hmm. it to just come to you because you don't appreciate it if it's just given to you. I think there's certainly joy in the journey. And you Mm -hmm. need to embrace Mm -hmm. it. And just no, because when you go through the difficult times, it makes you appreciate the really wonderful times even more.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And gratitude is a huge piece. Gratitude is a huge thing that a lot of people in my show talk about. It's something that I bring up a lot and they say, oh, this is really important because if you are not thankful for what you have, then you will not be given something bigger to be thankful mm-hmm. for.
1: I love that. I love that. Yeah. Can you speak to more? What else? How else? How like what are the other tenets? I, I've got some ideas on my own, but why Why else should people try to make maintain gratitude? I mean, if you're struggling, if you're behind on your bills, if your boss is breathing down your neck, why should you be grateful?
2: There's always something to be grateful for. In fact, I would advocate that people get out a sheet of paper or an empty Word document or whatever they want to do. And force themselves to come up with a hundred things that they're thankful for. Mm.
1: Mm, now, if, like if
2: someone's boss is angry at them, be thankful that you have a job yeah. and that you have that opportunity to earn money. Now, if you don't like your job, you know, look for something that maybe you know fits your temperament and your skill set, and maybe makes more money, depending on what your situation is. But if there's something that isn't going your way, one thing that Tony Robbins talks about is asking yourself, what's great about this? Mm. It's an unusual question. And you think, well, there's nothing great about my boss yelling at me all the time. Well, what is the opportunity here to learn? What is the real message here? Because if you are in that much pain all the time, then that's probably a sign that something needs to shift. Whether that's you or whether that's in a different department, you know, an opportunity in a different department in your company. And sometimes that agonizing force gets moved for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm a firm, I mean, I believe in God. I'll just say that I think God knows what your limits are and knows when to move on your behalf and when to let you struggle a little bit and learn. So, uh, write down a hundred things that you're thankful for the ability to, or, or even, even 100 successes that you've had in your life. Sometimes, you know, that's something that you can do. I mean, I did that exercise and did a Facebook live with my best friend and we both did this and we split it into our first 50 and our second 50. So we did two Facebook lives, but even something as simple as I learned how to walk, I learned how to talk. Now those might seem really Elementary, but not everyone gets to learn how to walk and talk for medical mm-hmm. reasons or because yeah. they don't live long enough to be able to learn that. And I advocate that people break it down in different time frames. Let's just say, for example, you're 40 years old. So, what were your successes? What are you thankful for that happened to you between zero and 10, between 10 and 20, 20 and 30, and 30 and 40? And if you can come up with, you know, 25 or so in each time frame, that'll help you really, really focus. I mean, let's just say in in your teenage years, I'm very grateful that I got to experience my first kiss. You know, I mean, that's, that's a big deal when you're that age now, it doesn't seem like such a big deal, but there was a first time and the first time is always a big deal. You know, uh, I'm grateful that I got an A on this test that I wasn't expecting to do well on. I'm grateful that I got accepted to college. Or I'm really grateful that I made my first money all by myself without mm. having mommy and daddy help me. I mean, that's a big deal because you're learning to be self-sufficient. And now as an adult, you expect that to happen all the time. But when you're a teenager, there was a first time that you experienced it. And that was almost a rite of passage. So think of hundred things that you're thankful for, and that will shift your mind really fast and read that list as often as possible.
1: Yeah, I think that that's powerful. And part of why it's powerful is because you can't be grateful and fearful and anxious at the same time. You can't be grateful and angry at the same time. And so part of the power of gratitude is that it puts you out of this scarcity, this anxious, this competitive mindset into a cooperative, collaborative mindset that can be yeah. incredibly empowering. And I think that that's the real benefit there. Like when you show gratitude and appreciation, it's the idea that if you're too busy complaining about things, you might miss the opportunity right in front of you. And that yeah. there's just like a pain to life. If your hands are full, they're not available to receive. Right? Yeah. Like that's really, you know, that, that's really it. it. But having that thing taken from your hands might cause pain of loss or the pain of yeah. separation or the anxiety yeah. of separation. And so that's where you have to try to find and maintain strategies to, to keep yourself on track. It's really, I think, just about keeping focus on what matters. You know, that's the, yeah. it's not pretending that there's nothing there. It's not saying there are no weeds, there are no weeds, there are no weeds, because if you do that, the weeds will take over your garden. But it's Mm -hmm. about, you know, finding a way to be happy about what you're doing. So that way you can just try to focus and be creative. Like kids are so phenomenal to watch because they have creative problem-solving skills and you can't be creative. It's not easy, I should say, to be creative and cooperative and collaborative at the same time that you're angry, fearful, anxious. Like it's just they're polar opposites in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And as humans, I think we're way more powerful than people realize. Like a dog is only ever going to be a dog. I have a pet dog, Holly, and she, as much as I love her, she'll only ever do the four or five things that a dog does, you know? I mean, maybe they're dogs that you teach special tricks, but generally speaking, she's only ever going to do those four or five things. But as a human... You have unlimited potential. I could decide today I want to take up ballet. I, I'm working on trying to figure out how to handstand walk. Like, like you could just decide something and then the rest of your life now goes down this new direction. And it's that simple. Yeah. But it, can, you, can you do that? Can you maintain it? Can you actually pursue that and not give up? You know, it makes us incredibly powerful beings. And
2: yeah.
1: a lot of people, it's like they're children with, with bazookas and they don't realize the power that they have. And then they end up turning yeah. it on themselves
2: exactly exactly I love that you are more powerful than you think you are in fact, I occasionally will post a meme from The Wizard of Oz when they get to see Oz, the big giant green head, and the capture that I post is that you are more great you are greater and more powerful than you think you are, and that always gets engagement
1: always, mm, 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 mm. yeah, I think that's real that's a real thing not to go there's a lot of different theories about you know there's I don't want to go. We don't want to turn this into a religious thing, but this no. all, all this stuff came from somewhere. I grew up in a house of physics and science, and I'm very much uh, like I need to see the evidence of stuff. And right now, to be really honest, there is evidence of God, and there is evidence of supernatural yep. experiences, but that's uh, extraterrestrial. A lot of people haven't even considered this, but all these different myths and legends of creatures from above and fallen angels and all this sort of stuff, it's, I mean, that's where they would come from. They wouldn't come from underneath the earth it wouldn't come out emerge from the dirt. So a lot of people now there's a lot of like the book of Enoch is a part of the original bible that was actually eventually just excluded because it was just this messy kind of ugly part that just, you know, it kind of was like this smudge, the dirt smudge on this rest of this wonderful text so they, they actually got rid of it. But all the early Christians were firm believers in this and it was like I said it was part of the original works and the book of Enoch basically kind of talks about Well, we won't go down that path, but I think what I do want to say is that we are created to be, like, we've been empowered with tools and resources and and almost just this, that we don't understand our full potential. We don't even understand, like, we don't even understand the ladder that we're on. We don't understand, like, what I mean by is, you know, it took people hundreds of years to run a four-minute mile. OK, yes. up, up until I forget the year it was, but up until a certain year, nobody thought humans were capable of running a four minute mile. And then somebody did it. And after they did it, four or five, six, seven other people did it right after, because all of a sudden they knew what was possible. And I feel like that's the again, like that limiting belief people don't really understand. Like you you always see the movies. We love the movies where the underdog comes back at the last second. Like that's the telltale of of every movie. Like how are they going to get out of it? Oh my God. Like the bad guys have won. And then of course there's some fluke change of whatever, a fortune they come over and you know, they, and they succeed. And that can be your story. That can be everyone's story. Uh, no matter what you have going on, but it's part of it is the journey. Alan Watts is a great philosopher and he tells, I know I'm jumping around but Alan Watts has this great uh, story. He talks about the, the Chinese farmer. And so this Chinese farmer one day, and uh, one of these days he's, he's farming, and what is it that His horse runs away. And all the neighbors are like, oh, that's what, what misfortune? And the farmer says, well, maybe. And then the next day this horse comes back, and it brings four wild horses with it. And all of his neighbors are like, wow, what great fortune. And he goes, well, Maybe. And then the next day, his son is trying to tame these wild horses, and one of them throws his son off its back, and his son breaks his legs. And the neighbors are all going, "Oh, that's so sad!" And so, you know, "So uh, what misfortune?" And the farmer goes, "Maybe." And the next day, the the Chinese military comes around, uh, cons- you know, recruiting all the young men for battle to join the army. But because his son has a broken leg, they don't take his son. And the neighbors go, "Oh, what good fortune!" And he goes, "Well, maybe." And the moral of the story is that nature is such a complex interweaving of events that there's no way to accurately predict whether this thing that you perceive as good fortune or bad fortune right in front of you will be actually be good or, like, there's no way to know how the chain of events will unfold seven, eight, nine, ten moves down the line. So right. you really just have to do, you just have to trust what's in front of you. You have to have a mission. The worst thing you can do is just allow yourself to just. Devolve and collapse on yourself, and you just have to understand that you have to understand that it's a predatory world. I think that's important as well. Like video games are designed by behavioral scientists and psychologists to, like, to become addictive, psychologically addictive, capture your attention, because where attention goes, focus and money tends to follow. So if we can keep more and more people focused, like World of Warcraft, I have a younger adopt I'm adopted and I have a younger brother from my adopted family that I think there was a couple of years I was out traveling the world where I don't even know if he actually physically existed. I, I think he really just existed as his World of Warcraft character for a couple of years. You know, and I think there's a lot of people that have that. And there's nothing wrong with entertainment and enjoying yourself. But I also think it can be predatory and that can be to people's detriment. Uh, people are talking about that with social media right now, that it's, you know, it's 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 affecting our personal relationships, it's affecting our attention spans. and so you have to understand that, you know, that outside, that competition, like, people can work together and make the pie bigger, but there yeah. are people that aren't evolved that way, and you have to protect yourself, and you have to be aware, and so that's really where you have to have meaning and purpose in your life, and you need to think about where do you want to be at the end of this, like, you have to begin with the end in mind. What do you want yeah. your life to look like? Do you want to wake up one day alone in a hospital bed and with a bunch of regrets and, you know, like what was the the top regrets of the dying? I have this great little infographic. I actually keep top regrets of the dying. I keep this on my computer and I, I post it every now and then. And it's I would imagine
2: short... I would imagine that not spending up time with friends and family was right at the top of the list.
1: Mm. Well, they're not in order of priority, but it is on the list. There's five items, and it's it's after 40 years in palliative care, Nurse Bronnie Ware surveyed her coworkers and friends in the industry and put together a list, and then it was abbreviated for this article. And it basically says, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends and I wish I had let myself be happier. And I think that that's really powerful because if in reading that any of those jump out at you, now is the time to make a change in those things. And I don't know the wishing I work so hard. I think it's what you said earlier about becoming skilled at something you don't like. Like if you love it, if you're happy doing something and you love it, like I love doing these podcast interviews. So it doesn't really feel like work, you know, I would never say, oh, I wish I did less podcast interviews. I don't actually think I would say that, you know, unless it was overtaking something else. So I I don't know. I think it's really important to think about how do you want your life to look. It's really easy to see measures of success in terms of fitness and finances, but there's not a lot of examples of of success in death. And I think that that's something people want to consider is that we actually have, it's a taboo topic, but we have limited time on this planet Regardless of what your belief is, whether you believe in reincarnation or not, we only know for sure we get one life. So you have to think about what is the impact you want to have on this world and where do you wanna be? What do you want to have, have people have said to you at the end? And like you said, when you talked about these high performance, high performers, high achievers, that they didn't give up and they 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 something happened where they said they won't accept this in their life anymore and they found a deep seated why and they, they, they found a mission. And then their life became about this mission. There could be more than one mission. There could be a mission to be an amazing parent to your children. Yep. It will be a, a mission to be a, a great speaker, an orator that influences others. Maybe, maybe you're a psychiatrist. Maybe you're just really into technology and you want to develop some sort of new medical device that will revolutionize humanity. Like, it, You can have multiple missions, but it has to be meaningful to you. And I just love how you talked about that, you know, and then they, and then when it becomes about the mission, it's not your competitor. It's, these are people that are on the journey together and maybe like there's, there's SpaceX, then there's Jeff Bezos' company Richard Branson's and they're kind of competitors, but they're also kind of not competitors, you know, like, like Elon Musk made all of Tesla's patents publicly available. He's inviting the challenge because when the tide rises, all the boats rise and he just wants more people to get involved
2: yeah that's incredible.
1: So who would you recommend to anybody who is either dealing with a serious health issue or just struggling right now? Do you have any advice for them?
2: Gratitude is really, really key. And it's interesting too, because you know you you just never know when time is up. And so you have to be aggressively thankful for what you have. Uh, Take nothing for granted and be very grateful for your family and friends and make an effort to lean on the people who are close to you and who really love you because, you know, there might be people out there who feel hopeless or unloved, but just Mm. know that there's somebody out there who's absolutely crazy about you. It could be a friend. It could be a family member, a significant other, whoever that is, but there is somebody out there who really, really does care and be thankful for that.
1: Mm. And get off your butt and go do something.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I I find that when I keep my mind occupied with other things, then the thing that's wrong doesn't occupy my mind at the same time, because it can't.
1: Mm. That's a good one. That's a really good one. So, let me ask now, so, we already talked about some of the habits. What are some of the greatest mistakes you see people making? Just in your friends and families and circles and over the years, have you seen anybody people making grave mistakes?
2: thinking they know it all thinking Mm. that they don't need to lean on other people's advice, uh, not seeking advice or not taking the time to figure out how other people have done it before them,
1: Mm.
2: taking advice from people who've never done the thing that you want to do. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: You know, if you're trying to build a million dollar business, all your broke friends will tell you what you're doing wrong.
1: Right. (laughs) That's right.
2: And you just need to not listen to that you need to filter that noise out because once you attain a certain level of success and notoriety, there will be a lot of noise around you. People want a piece of you. People want something from you and you just have to stay focused on what your end game is, what your master plan, what your master goal is. And don't be afraid to say no. I think people say yes to way too many
1: things. Mm, Right. And this comes back to, knowing what your meaning in life and your purpose is. And and a lot of people are like, well, how do I find my purpose? And sometimes it's by doing things you don't like.
2: In dating, you don't know
1: what you want in a partner until you date people that you don't like. Right.
2: Now, I asked Dan Locke about the art of knowing what to say no to. And he says, well, in the beginning, you're going to have to say yes to a lot of things because you're trying to get started and to build some momentum. Then after a while, once you get established, you can start saying no to a few things. But once you're really established, you're saying no to almost everything.
1: Mm, mm. And
2: sometimes, and sometimes, and this is my little add-on, sometimes people will say no to you just to test you and see how badly you really want it. And they'll make you, they'll, they won't tell you this, but they'll make you follow up and, and see who follows up. And if someone mm-hmm. follows up, you know, two or three times, then I guess you must be serious and now I'll talk to you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's actually, I remember, I forget who it was I interviewed, but he said that when he's, he, he owns, this, uh, he's an investor and has his hand in a few companies, and he typically says he never replies to an email the first time it comes in because people, like a lot of people on his team and managers and stuff, they'll just, by default, come to him when they have a question. So he yeah. just ignores them the first two times. If they come to the third time, then they must be really stuck, and then he jumps in. Yeah. He said, you'd be surprised how many things I get messaged about once or twice, and then people figure it out on their own. So... Yeah. Uh, And I think that kind of speaks to the challenge that we face in life. Like, I think right there, it kind of just speaks to what we talked about, like the obstacles between you and where you are now and where you want to go. They're not there to keep you from achieving what you want. They're there to protect you once you get there from everybody else being on your island.
2: Yeah. And sometimes things don't happen the way you want because you are being protected from something that could have happened had it happened for
1: you. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we never appreciate the times we go out and go for a walk and we turn left, not right, so we don't get hit by a bus, right? right. Because it didn't happen. We never really appreciate it. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting world that we live in. I think this is, this is very fascinating for <laughs> me. I'm yeah, probably going to totally. be lost in thought for an hour after this call, just like philosophizing on the meaning of life. Like The only thing we know for sure is life seems to be about growth, that everything wants to grow, that as long as, like, that's it, everyone wants to survive and grow and continue on existing. That's basically yeah. all we know for sure.
2: Yeah. And Billy Joel said something very brilliant in one of his songs, Life is a Series of Hellos and Goodbyes, and how true that really is. Hmm. Some people in your life forever, and some people are just in your life for a season.
1: Hmm. Friends for a reason, friends for a season, and friends for life. Yep. Which, again, it comes back to having a deep-seated meaning that if you – we talked about it, you can't soar with the eagles if you're scratching with the, with the chickens because, yep. you know, if you're, if, if you're friends for the reason of smoking weed and playing video games, those are hours. Like I always think every day, like when I wake up – actually, I have this poem. I, can I read a poem? Yeah. i want to read a poem if that's okay with you. Let me pull this up because it comes down to time management. And what I'm trying to say here is that if you're going to sit around, and there's nothing wrong with having time, like silence is part of music as much as sound is. So it's okay to have downtime. Like I have a daily checklist, and one of my things is body. Did I do something for my body today? It doesn't mean did I go to the gym, although usually you know I go to the gym five days a week, but it maybe it's did I do tai chi or yoga, or did I rest today? Did I get a massage today? Did I do something for my body today? Because I recognize that you can't, Like, the wind can't blow nonstop. Even the wind takes a break. Even the sun takes a break. Like, people, actually, the sun doesn't take a break, so that's a bad example. But the idea is that you need to manage your time. And every day I wake up, I feel like I've got, I woke up, if I sleep eight hours, then that's 24 minus 8, that leaves 16. So I have, like, $16 to invest in different areas of my life. So I'm going to invest $1 or $2 in my family, $1 or $2 in my, you know, in this, $1 or $2 in my education, $1 or $2 in that. But if all you do is you wake up and you do go to work and then you come home and then you spend the rest of your night watching TV, you're squandering your money. Like, you're just not managing it well. So time is such an important part of this. You can have everything you want if you manage your time properly. This is – let me read this poem. I love this poem so much. It's from uh, Arnold Bennett on how to live on 24 hours a day. And it goes, time is the inexplicable raw material of everything. With it, all is possible. Without it, nothing. The supply of time is truly a daily miracle, an affair genuinely astonishing when one examines it. You wake up in the morning and, lo, your purse is magically filled with 24 hours of the unmanufactured tissue of the universe of your life. It is yours. It is the most precious of possessions. No one can take it from you. It is unstealable. And no one receives either more or less than you receive. In the realm of time, there is no aristocracy of wealth. There is no aristocracy of intellect. Genius is never rewarded by even an extra hour a day, and there is no punishment. Waste your infinitely precious commodity as much as you will, and the supply will never be withheld from you. Moreover, you cannot draw on the future. It's impossible to get into debt. You can only waste the passing moments. You cannot waste tomorrow. It is kept for you. You cannot waste the next hour. It is kept for you. I have said the affair was a miracle, is it not? You have to live on this 24 hours of daily time. Out of it, you have to spend health, pleasure, money, content, respect, and the evolution of your immortal soul. Its right use, its most effective use, is a matter of the highest urgency and of the most thrilling actuality. All depends on that. Your happiness, the elusive prize that you are all clutching for, my friends, depends on that. If one cannot arrange that an income of 24 hours a day shall exactly cover all proper items of expenditure, one does muddle one's whole life indefinitely. We shall never have any more time. We have and we have always had all the time there is. Wow. I love that. I saw I my thing to read. I have a couple of things that I try to read every day, and I try to read that every day. So that way when I sit down and I think about my day, you know, like am I spending my time in a meaningful way? You know, like, like that sort of thing. We, I said we had a housekeeper, and that's because we decided, I mean, even when I was in the States and it was way more expensive, I got a cleaner because I decided that there were things I wanted to spend my time on. And like right now, I have a nine-month-old daughter, and I would much prefer to go take her to the pool for an hour than to spend that hour putting her in front of the TV while I do the dishes, you know, for example. Exactly. You know? Um, anyways. Yeah, thank you for letting me share that. I, sorry, I know it's supposed to be your interview. I feel like I've had... I, I hope I've been sharing the mic a lot. I've, I've gotten on a couple of soapboxes, but you've, you've inspired me with some of the things that you've talked about and brought up. So, Oh, good. <laughs> so where do you feel the future is going in terms of collaborating and, and what can we expect? Like what I mean by is in terms of motivating and leading people, like you see what these others have accomplished and you're performing yourself as well. Do you think things are going to change radically? Like is, is, are people becoming more secluded, more secular? Do you think that at some point it's going to hit like a critical mass and there'll be two divisions of people, like the online people, the offline people? How are like our relationships and the way we are motivated and where we're putting our attention? How do you see that evolving in the next few years? whether it's one year or five year or 10 years?
2: Mm. Well, I don't have a time frame or a crystal ball, but I think that the more we rely on technology instead of simply use it, the more secluded we're going to be, the less willing people will be to be sociable. And I think that that affects the way that you interact with people when you finally do see them face-to-face. I think a lot of people on social media they'll get really bold, and when they argue with people on Facebook, for example, or on Twitter, I'm shocked at what some people say because I, I think to myself, "You would never say that to someone in real life
1: mm-hmm. in front
2: of them." Some mm-hmm. of you all would get your mouth slapped
0: <laughs> with yeah.
2: some of the ways that you say and and treat people online, and you know, it just I, I just really don't know, but I think that unless people decide to Start um, using things for what they're intended for instead of abusing them for their own personal purposes. Uh, it's going to be really difficult to expect people to be more sociable. I mean, I mean, you and I grew up in an era where technology didn't exist when we were kids. Yeah. You know, you you knew where your your kids were based on which house your kids' bicycle was parked in front of.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: Absolutely. And you know what? I mean, we didn't have a phone that we were tied to 24 seven. I think sometimes that's good, but sometimes it can be a chain. You mean, you're not really free. And even though you can choose not to answer a call when it comes in and let it go to voicemail, there's just that temptation to have to answer every call. I I hate when I'm in a social situation with someone and they they they're on their phone while I'm talking to them. Or they answer text messages while I'm talking to them. Or worse yet, they take a call while I'm talking to them. It's just rude. It's like they don't even realize that I'm sitting in front of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That comes back to the shortened attention spans. And it's a creepy, it's the it's slippery slope where it's a gradual thing, right? Like it's... Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not, it, you would notice it. Like they say, you know, if you drop a frog in a pot of boiling water, it'll jump out right away. But if you put it in a bo- pot of room temperature water and heat it slowly, it'll just sit there until it's cooked. And that's yep. the same kind of concept we're talking about where people just aren't, you know, they're not paying attention, don't necessarily notice the stuff. So, yeah Brian, I feel like this has been such an informative call and an inspiring call people listening may want to go back and listen to this again if they didn't take notes and even if they did take notes to make sure they didn't miss anything is there anything i didn't ask you that i should have asked you about
2: that's a good question you probably should ask where can people find me
1: (laughs) if they want to catch with me (laughs) yeah that's my that's my follow-up so yes for those that want that enjoyed this call and want to connect with you and and speak with you more and get your help with their own projects have it what are some of the best ways for them to reach out
2: well, they can find me on Facebook. Just look for Brian K. Wright. And I'm the guy with the bald head and the black shirt and the gold tie. You can find me, you can email me, Brian at Wright.com, And that's Brian with an I, Brian at Wright.com. If you want to ask questions about, you know, writing your book or anything else relating to personal development. I mean, I do a radio show, I publish a magazine, always looking for great content writers even people who want to be featured on the cover of the magazine. I have a special project that I do for my private clients where I do an eight page layout for people and they can be featured on the cover of their own version of success profiles magazine. I can talk to you how about how that can come about and people are really embracing it. It's fun. It's really fun. Mm -hmm. It's a great thing to give away to people uh, at networking events and Um, even to people that you want to, you know, interview with or, If you want to give it to someone that you might want to do a joint venture with, it's a great opportunity to tell your story under a third-party brand, and that validates you. I mean, if you do a brochure, people expect you to talk about how awesome you think you are in a brochure, but in a magazine, that's a different deal entirely. That raises the game. So Brian at BrianKWright.com, I'd be glad to talk to you about how we can make that happen for you.
1: That's awesome. So Brian at BrianKWright.com, that's Brian with an I. And just thank you so much for coming and sharing, Brian. I know you've got your own show, your own your following, your own people you could be talking to. So thank you for coming and sharing with my audience
0: so we could all be just that much better.
2: Uh, you're welcome, Darrell. It was fun to be here. Thank you so much for all you're doing.
0: You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it.